second pod of the week, of course, building off of our just delusional podcast that was the North London Derby preview slash the Spurs and Arsenal recap for the past weekend and whatever is left, again, of Manchester United at this point. Now, we're bringing you, as always, as we do now, the La Liga portion of this week's podcast. So, I'm joined by just Rian this time. No other delusional people on the pod. Um, Rian will probably have some delusional thoughts on the Chelsea-Sevilla portion of this podcast that we'll touch on towards the end. So, I think that's probably the biggest reason why Rian is uh, is excited to record this. But, anyway... Rian, how you been in the last couple of days? You um you got a chance to watch The Bachelorette the other night. I did not, unfortunately. Um, but th- this man has some thoughts, I think, on Tasha and um and her potential booze, don't you? Oh no, um, yeah. This is a, <laughs> I'll say it's the first time I've I've watched The Bachelorette consecutive episodes in a row. For a while, I mean, maybe since I was like very young, when my my grandmother slash my grandmother, I think used to watch it, so I would see episodes in that in that way. But um, no, very very interesting. It's it's very funny. There's this one guy on the show. His name's Bennett, and he's this like Harvard grad. And every time I watch him, I'm like, oh my gosh, I I didn't go to Harvard, but I definitely feel i definitely have met this guy this same exact guy at, school, <laughs> at, at college like multiple times and I, I every time he speaks it's just hilarious so, is he is he the just, really posh guy yeah he yeah the, yes actually. okay like, i think not, i know you're english. talking about he's not english but he's but posh is a pretty good way to to describe him he's i think hilarious. i know what you're talking about yeah yeah, I I remember watching. I I watched my roommate when we were in New York for a couple of first episodes, and uh, he was he was a standout character. Let's just let's just say that at the very least. So I think I know who you're talking about. But yes, we do we do have other things going on outside of our <laughs> lives or outside of soccer in our lives. So this is our t- daily comedic routine, of course. But no, anyway, Rian, let's let's get to today's topic at hand. Let's start off with future La Liga champions. Atletico Madrid. Why don't we? Um, oh, <laughs> is that already, too bold? Or wow, is, he's, he, he's, it's just a reverse jinx, guys. He's trying the reverse <laughs> jinx. He's trying the reverse jinx on Atleti. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I mean, it would. I will have to say, it would be exciting to have three different La Liga winners in three consecutive years. That for the league would be pretty exciting either way. Um, but let's start off with Atleti, and I, I think there's. There's really just one major question that we need to start looking at, especially off the back of their win against Valencia. Um, but Rian, why don't you start us off? Where where's where your head with this, and and let's let's kick it off. Yeah, I mean, well, I agree with you. I would love to see Atleti win the title this year, and it feels like the talents there, and especially a talisman who is. Granted, only 20 years old, but um, has really come into his own this season in Drought Felix. But Atletico Madrid haven't lost in almost two months now since the 4-0 loss to Bayern on the first day of the Champions League. Six wins, three draws since that time. They are sitting second in La Liga. They've got, I believe, two games in hand on Real Sociedad, and they're only one point behind them. Elias, 
after another game this weekend where they kind of they they dominated in terms of let's say the X, XG difference, but again their defense looked really solid and really resolute, and that was one of the things we were kind of worried about. Or well, not, I don't know about worried, but we wanted to see how that would if that would translate again this year with the freedom being given to Rafa Leaks. With everything that we've seen so far, and would you? You kind of just said it, although you kind of said that 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 you think that you tried it with your jinx. But do you legitimately believe that they are the favorites now to win the title with the state of Barcelona and Real Madrid at the moment? I mean, it's more of a. I I will say I don't think I ruined it because I think it's there's more context to this. Um, you have to look at the alternatives to potentially win the title, right? Before you, you look at Atleti. So let's take your top four, basically, um, in, in Real Sociedad, Villarreal, um, and really Real Madrid, right? So let's let's take those three for a second. Real Sociedad and Villarreal, we'll get onto that game in a second, drop points this weekend. Both of them, let's say, look at a drop two points. Um, Villarreal have already played Barcelona and lost. Real Sociedad are probably the one team that have looked the best out of those three this season have stayed consistent. So we'll have to give them some props, but Real Sociedad have not played Atleti. And we also have to look at Real Madrid, of course, who are lagging behind, uh, let's say are not performing well, lost against Alves this past weekend and look very, very rocky. I mean, they looked rocky in La Liga and they looked rocky in the Champions League this week. So, Let's look at the holistic picture for a second. None of those three teams look better than Atletico Madrid. None of those three teams have let in less goals defensively than Atletico Madrid. None of those teams, I actually think Real Sociedad might be the exception here, have scored more goals than Atleti. So what that what does that lead me to believe? Well, it leads me to believe that Atletico are clearly the favorites here to put on a run towards the end. They're also getting Luis Suarez back, who is cleared from COVID protocol in La Liga. So everything is, for me, pointing towards Atletico making a run in the league this year. Of course, they're coming off the back of their first La Liga win under Diego Simeone against Barcelona as well. And that is only going to add to their points tally against their direct competitors at the top. And it's little things like that, getting the right results early that can put you in a really, really good position going forward. And I think that's what they've done. So, I mean, we can talk about the footballing aspect of, of why they're favorites too, but just from a holistic view of the rest of the league, I, I have no reason to believe that anyone is in a better position than Atletico at least. Yeah. And I think we've kind of talked about how, how much the attack was going to change or, or that's what we were looking for, for Atleti going into this season. And whether it's mostly down to loosening the reins on draw Felix. And also you have to throw in uh, Luis Suarez playing, coming in and having a more potent focal point up in the attack than they, than they did last season, at least you got to give some shout outs to, I think we haven't spoken about him very much, but Angel Correa this year, he's second on the team in shot creating actions per 90 and first in goal creating actions per 90, even ahead of Joao Felix. And I think the prominence of those two players, Correa and Felix, 
has also upped their team totals in goal creating actions. Our last season, it was at two, around two, and this season it's 3.8. So there's as much of a difference in the responsibilities that are being given to their top players and, of course, the talent. But guys, other guys are stepping up this season. And I think there's a reason to believe that this is all sustainable, too, because the defending hasn't gotten any worse. And that's probably the most important thing for uh, Diego Simeone and in, in how he's looking at this team progress from last season. Yeah, 100% agreed, right? Like you mentioned Angel Correa, um, and I also want to shout out Thomas Lamar. Um, I mean, we could talk about every individual athletic player right now and how they're performing, which is maybe outside of Trippier and Lodi, I think probably a, a fair positive review for most of them. Um, but I specifically want to touch on Angel Correa and Thomas Lamar for two different reasons. One, in the Valencia game this past weekend, Thomas Lamar, I think, should have had a hat trick of goals. Um, and Thomas Lamar, let me stress again, is not a goal scoring midfielder. I mean, that just goes to show, right? This is <laughs> Atleti in this Valencia game played like I, I don't I don't know which theory that I had it at, but remember there are three Atleti sides, right? And Atleti played like the attack attacking dominant force that they were in possession and controlled the game through possession, which is new for them. And Thomas Lamar was at the focal point of that. And he was creating chances from deep and finishing, finishing them off with just brilliant left foot shots. And quite honestly, the only reason that they, he did not score at least two goals is just from an amazing performance from, you know, a backup keeper in Valencia starting lineup. So I have to give a shout out to Thomas Lamar, who has consistently performed and stepped up to the roles of really a free roaming midfielder in, in a Simeone side. That's not something that is common in under Diego Simeone. So have to give not, both. Not, he was, not what he was quite expected to be when he came in, when he right. signed for the club, right? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, like Thomas Lamar before this was basically in, a glorified interceptor of the ball. And that wasn't really what like he played plays to his strengths. Like, and I think part of that is why a lot of Atleti fans mark that signing up as a failure for the most part. And up until this year, we're really probably not too happy with his performances, but that has since changed because you've seen the shift from Simeone towards more attacking based possession and, or possession based attack, I should say. And, you get the best out of a player like Thomas Lamar, who's allowed that freedom. Similarly, in Angel Correa, in Atleti's Bayern game this past week in the Champions League, while, okay, yes, Atleti were playing literally Bayern's B team um, and still, unfortunately, ended up conceding a penalty late on to Thomas Muller, Angel Correa was everywhere in this game, very similarly to how Thomas Lamar was. He was basically the free-roaming midfielder in the final third and had complete control over the flow of the ball from left to right, forward and back. It was really, really fluid. And he, I mean, Rion gave you the stats, but he has clearly been the dominant shot creator and chance creator on this team or in this team. Um, and you saw that multiple times, especially in the first half, um, especially later in the, the first half in that game. So have to have to give them plaudits too. 
it's all looking like, like I said, a sustainable run for the title here. As long as, again, as long as, as the important guys stay healthy and that's just not a given this season, unfortunately, but yeah, it's all looking good for Atleti who play Valladolid over the weekend, this weekend, it's in 17th. So should be an, they should expect to go top this weekend. Keyword should. We'll see what happens <laughs> with, uh, with Real Sociedad this weekend as well. Um, but why don't we move on actually to that game in Real Sociedad and Villarreal? A, a game that Rian and I both watched, but right before we started recording, I mean, I said to Rian, I wasn't impressed with this game at all, quite frankly. Like I, I was very disappointed and it sometimes I nearly fell asleep during this game. Um, and, I just I expected more from both sides and and specifically Sociedad. I very much expected them to come out with a win this game. I mean, quite frankly, they were the better team. They were, especially in the second half, the the better side when it came to controlling the ball. They were the better side when it came to creating chances. I mean, in terms of just overall pace and and dynamism and. Everything about their game was better than Villarreal for me, especially in the second half. But because of, again, a silly penalty that should not have been conceded, quite frankly, on both sides, right? Both goals, the game ended 1-1, and both goals were scored by, you know, on penalties by Gerard Moreno and Oriathabal. It, it wasn't, it wasn't that, like, showcase performance that we all wanted from two very, very good teams in Spain this season. So, yeah, I, I was very underwhelmed by it. Yeah, it, it's weird to think about, to say this about these two clubs because we would have would have never thought that a game between them would seem like this, but a game where I it felt like an early title clash between between two teams that you would expect to be going for the title and they're just slightly hesitant of each other and a bit more cautious, which again, we wouldn't have expected this from either of these two clubs going into the season. Right. But even in this game, their passes allowed per defensive action for each club was 11 for Villarreal. I think 14 for, um, Sociedad, which is both below their averages. So they didn't press to the same level as they, as either of them have in their games, um, before this in this, in the league, at least. So it showed like some respect towards each other, of course. And obviously you have to throw in, there's some quality there too, able, being able to break the press. Nah, the man, it's just it's pure respect, just vibes on the field. <laughs> but, but it does show some level of respect that the teams had for each other. And, well, Sociedad, they, again, feel like a team that if they are able to stay healthy, if you look at their underlying numbers are really, really good, they can stay in and around, I think, the top three this this year, especially with the inconsistencies that we've seen from Real Madrid, especially, and I know we'll talk about them later on, but Sociedad have a great chance to stay, I think, in the title picture for the long haul of this season. Yeah, I don't think for any reason anyone should be writing off Sociedad for for this performance, right? I think 
if there is one way to capture this performance, you said it best. Like they, they just respected each other almost too much. It was almost like a game of chess, but it should, like we all expected it to be a, a game of back and forth in cat and mouse, but it was not. I, I think Real Sociedad are absolutely still in the picture for the title. They clearly are a consistent, consistently strong team. The one area that I think that is going to be very curious to see is how they do stand the test of time directly up against, you know, Spain's quote unquote top three. And they haven't really come up against that in too many games yet. Of course, you know, we've seen them play like a top three side, but I'm, I'm just very curious to see what happens in those games and, and how, how they're coached and how they set up. But either way, they're going to be very entertaining. I think much more entertaining than we saw this past weekend. So there's something to be said about Sociedad's performance. Don't let your guard down on this team. But at the same time, I think I do, I do expect Atleti to creep up into the, the top two, but I don't know if they will take the top spot for, uh, for maybe a couple more weeks. That's my prediction, at least. That's fair. And, and, and you're right. I mean, Sociedad have only played Real Madrid out of those, out of the traditional big three there in Spain. They played them the second game of the season. That was a nil-nil draw. And, a bit early in either of those teams' seasons to be able to tell much from that game. But they play Barcelona in two weeks, and then eight days after that, they play Atleti. So right, by Christmas, we'll have a really good idea of the staying power for uh, Sociedad. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the time frame where I think if they are still top of the table then, then you really have to start painting a picture of them as potential, um, you know, title contenders, if not winners right up there with that lady, but two very strong teams at the, well, several very strong teams at the top in Villarreal, Sociedad. And uh, of course you have to consider Atleti in that picture. So Rian, I think that covers the first couple of things on the agenda. Of course, we are going to go over Real Madrid and Barcelona in the second part of the pod. And uh, we'll even, we'll even entertain Chelsea and in their game against Sevilla, unfortunately, but I don't want to, but Rian does. Anyway, we'll be back. We're back again for part two of our La Liga pod, where this is going to be a, a nice five, five to 10 minutes here for Elias. I'm sure <laughs> as We'll look back on Madrid, Alaves, and I mean we can we can briefly touch on Shakhtar, the Shakhtar game. But oh, I, I think I think it's all <laughs> I think it can all be kind of grouped into the same conversation for when I'm talking about Madrid here. At least, can you give us a, a little recap of the game against Alaves, where once again Madrid look defensively lost without Sergio Ramos. They looked more than lost. Um, it wasn't just defensive. And, and I'm genuinely being as objective as I can because Sergio Ramos does a certain thing in this Real Madrid side. He is a captain. He's a leader. He will, his presence alone ensures that the rest of the squad around him knows what they're doing. And if they don't, or if they're out of place, he will let you know that you are doing the wrong thing. Trust me, I've seen footage. I, I've watched this team for like, 10 something years. Uh, it's, it's what he does. Um, on the other hand, I don't think that his loss is their biggest problem. Granted, 
I think it's a massive hole, but their biggest problem is that their midfield is, dare I say, losing their touch. I think that Real Madrid's midfield has lost their creative touch and their ability to create chances. I don't know the statistics in terms of the chances that were created in the Alaves game, but I can tell you in the Shakhtar game, they they just looked toothless in both games, quite frankly. They didn't look like a side that actually was controlling the game so much as just controlling possession. And they're two very different things, right? Controlling the game means that you are in the driver's seat in terms of chances and shots, in terms of positioning in the final third, in terms of actually getting clear, very obvious chances. Controlling possession is what Real Madrid did for the better part of, especially the Alaves game. And, outside of the last maybe 15 minutes really didn't look like they had an interest in scoring. They really didn't. It just, it it didn't look like they had a way through. And I mean, if you ask me, my personal opinion is that the way through for them is right now, probably playing Vinicius Hazard and Benzema, but right now Benzema just came back. Hazard is out and Vinicius for some reason has been largely on the bench for Mariano. And I, I don't understand that so much. So looking at this Alaves game specifically, Alaves look like a wonderful attacking side, right? The, you know, I, I don't want to even call him the reincarnation of what Arsenal thought they bought, but Lucas Perez for Alaves just has been on fire this season. I think he scored something like six goals already for Alaves and truly in form and a striker like, just on his game right now. And he showed it. He absolutely showed it this, this past weekend in a sense that, well, obviously he scored and his counterattacking play in between the center backs is just brilliant. It's just, the runs he makes are intelligent and Nacho and Varane could not keep up. And every time that Alaves counterattacked, which was a large part of the strategy in this game it looked dangerous, right? And that's the thing that Real Madrid were lacking in that game. So that was the one takeaway of, you know, the the game overall. And maybe if Isco shot at the very, very last second of the game, doesn't hit the bar and actually goes in by a couple of inches, we're having a different conversation. But I'm still telling you the same story. I'm still telling you the same story of, of Real Madrid that did not look like they won to or could win this game confidently. It was more of a last 10 minute straw. Um, or grasp. And that's how they even got a goal back, right? Is very late on and trying to really, you know, in the most Zidane way, crawl their way back into some of these situations. But it's not 2017 in the Champions League anymore. You don't have Ronaldo around. You don't have Bale around. You don't have some of the players that made some of these European runs really, really possible. Other than, of course, Isco. But we'll get onto that in another day. So, Rian, last point that I'll make on the Shakhtar game there's a clip of, I believe, Shakhtar's second goal. And I think you know what the clip is or the picture is of Real Madrid doing their absolute best just impression of England versus Maradona in the 86 World Cup, in which they are all conveniently placed in a line, standing in between the final third and the middle of the park in their own defensive half, to which Shakhtar's Broken midfield realizes that, well, they have a massive gap in which half of the team is standing out of position. And uh, let's let's take a clean run at this. And, of course, the end result is a goal for Shakhtar. You're up 2-0. And, 
Well, Real Madrid are in a tough spot. So that I think encompasses the game. That's all I'll say about the Shakhtar game. So I'll stop my rant. It was a good yeah, five that, minutes though. No, yeah, but that kind of encapsulates the whole feeling towards Ramos's absence, feeling like more than just they're missing their, their best defender. Right. I mean, at this point, Rafael Varane, who's won a world cup, who's won multiple champions league titles. He didn't have Sergio Ramos playing next to him in, in the world cup in 2018. He was a leader on the French national team, but it seems like that is very much missing when he goes and plays for Madrid. I think the last nine champions league games without Sergio Ramos, I saw this stat on Twitter, two wins, seven losses. And one of those wins being against Inter a couple, a couple weeks ago in which both of the goals came after Inter went down to 10 men after uh, Arturo Vidal, a 36 year old with a Mohawk ends up getting sent off early in that game. And their sec, their other win is a three, one, one against Bruges. There is kind of harping back to our conversation during um, the episode like these intangibles that are just missing from the team when he's when Sergio Ramos is gone. There's no reason that Real Madrid shouldn't dominate. Let's say eight out of ten games, even without Sergio Ramos, but they just have not. I mean, we're looking at the last five games: one win, one draw, three losses. They have five losses in all competitions this season. That's five losses after 15 games. Elias, can you guess how many games it took them to reach five losses in all competitions last season? In all competitions last season. So the last 10 games that they played, um, especially in the Ligas, they, they did not lose. So I'm going to go with maybe 23. Was that Madrid, Madrid, Madrid's <laughs> fifth loss last season didn't happen until February 26th, the first leg of the round of 16 against <laughs> Manchester City in their 37th game of the season. Oh, my God. It, it, so it might be a bit more than just Ramos being out, right? And I think that turns to maybe the, the last little point we have on, on Madrid right now is how dangerous is this situation right now for Zinedine Zidane's job? I mean, there's always the pressure of being the Real Madrid coach where if you have one, two losses in a month, there's pressure for you to possibly get fired. But how real do you think is the danger that Zidane could lose his job before the end of the season? So after the Shakhtar game, there's a report um, out in the papers I forget if it was Diaro, Diaro Ass or Mundo Deportivo. I forget who it was. Um, but a Madrid, a paper with close ties to Florentino Perez had a report out immediately after the Shakhtar game that basically said Zidane is, is on the shopping block for his job, for sure, on the shopping block. And that told me one major thing. Well, that paper has very close ties clearly to Florentino Paris. And that's confirmed because I think what likely happened is that Paris hit up this reporter and was like, nah, he's gone. He's gone, son. I'm pissed off. And that was probably a heat of a moment type discussion in, in which that report came out. But I think in reality, here's what's going to happen. 
Real Madrid's three next games are unbelievably difficult and extremely t- trying for this squad. Sevilla this weekend, Borussia Mönchengladbach in midweek in the Champions League, and then the Madrid Derby after that. So the a, next a game against Gladbach that they have to win. Yes. And right. and also the their place in the uh, in the Champions League um knockout round is not up to them right now. Like they they can win but they still need Inter to lose. Uh, or sorry, um they need Shakhtar, excuse me, to to lose. And so a lot needs to go right for Zidane to not be the first coach in Real Madrid history to miss out on making the Champions League group stage or Champions League knockout rounds. So there is an immense amount of pressure on top of that to win at Sevilla and then win the Madrid Derby, a team against a team who is arguably much more informed. So this is a very, very tough ask for, for Zinedine Zidane. I, I don't know if he comes out of all three of those games with wins, let alone does he even make the Champions League knockout rounds. So you're looking at a situation where could Zidane be out of a job before the end of the season? Zidane could be out of a job by the end of the month. I mean, realistically, like if he loses all three of those games, I mean, oh, you if, can't. If, I mean, <laughs> if, they're, if they're out, if they get knocked out by Gladbach, I mean, it's, you know, like you said, if, if, those rumors were coming out from Madrid executives, then, I mean, this is perfectly set up to give them a good reason to fire him next week, potentially. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's monumental pressure that you can't withstand unless your name's Jose Bartomeu, but that's a whole other conversation. And if he, if he loses against Sevilla, already a bad look, because you're coming off the, the back of two losses already, if he loses against Mönchengladbach and Gladbach or gets knocked out of the Champions League, that's basically five bad string of games in a row. Six, and then that would be against your arch rivals in the Madrid Derby. I mean, no, no coach, especially at Real Madrid, can withstand that pressure. So it, Zidane's not in a good place, but the next three games, I think, will very much determine how his the rest of his Real Madrid coaching career turns out. But you have to remember that he was in a very similar place last season. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, right after the PSG game in which they got hammered, people were also like, Oh, I don't know if Zidane is going to be around much longer. He could be out very soon. And then he went on to do just fine. And of course, win the league, but this is also a very different set of context um, in which the three upcoming games virtually decide the tone of Real Madrid season. So I, I mean, I would not want to be him right now as a coach, but he did do them a favor in coming back um, kind of from his, from his time off. So they, it's not like you can taint his image or anything. It's just, it's just a bad look for him as a coach. So we'll see what happens. I, I don't have ultimate faith in this Real Madrid team coming out with three wins in the next three games, but what is, uh, what is success for them? That's up to Florentino Perez. Yeah, so a week from now could be Madrid could be coachless. Um, who knows? I mean, a week and a half from now they could be coachless, depending on how the Atleti game goes as well. But shall we move on, Elias, to the team in Spain that was not able to win in the Champions League 
this or sorry, wow, outside of Madrid. Whoa, sorry. Whoa. The, team in Spain, <laughs> the, the, the other team in Spain that lost this week this week in the Champions League. Which team is that, Rian? Sevilla hosted Chelsea on Tuesday Sigh. on Tuesday night or sorry, Tuesday night in in uh, Europe, but Tuesday afternoon here. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, Sevilla, who in the league have looked very, I think, hot and cold, and have had real trouble scoring in the league. And they did not score in either of their two games against Chelsea in the group stages. But I, I think there's a real concern, I think, towards, like I said, the goal-scoring prowess of uh, Sevilla at the moment. They've only scored 12 goals so far in La Liga. Only allowed eight. But, you know, 12 goals, not good enough. Not good enough for a team that's going to be trying to actually get into the Champions League again this season. And and it's just a funny one. I mean, they're not going to get, they're not going to go into the Europa League this year. So they can't win the Europa League title. <laughs> this is uncharted waters for Sevilla. Yeah. Sevilla are in a tough spot. Let's, let's start with that. Um, I mean, let, let's start with the game actually at hand outside of maybe their reaction to the first Chelsea goal, um, or sorry, the first Olivier Giroud goal. Um, outside of that, I think Sevilla really fell flat. And I think I took away two things from this game. One, Sevilla should have done much better. And had Sevilla scored around the 30, 35 minute mark when they really yeah, were. They had one pushed, big chance yeah. in the first half. They yeah. had, yeah, one one or two big chances in the first half to really make it even. And if you're going to halftime at an even game, I think that changes this entirely. So I think Sevilla really dropped the ball on that. This is a team that has, like Rian said, been very hot and cold. And in a game where actually I'll get into this in a second, but I, I'll talk about the ramifications of this game in a second. The second takeaway that I had was that Chelsea squad depth again has reinforced the reason why I think Chelsea are going to win the Premier League this season. They clearly have enough squad depth to compete consistently in every competition. And that is probably one of the most prized assets that you can get in a COVID ridden constant busy schedule that all teams are playing right now. And that can't be understated enough. And that showed, that showed through everyone seemed fresh. And I think the only, <laughs> I don't want to make this too much of a Premier League podcast, but really the funniest thing for me was seeing Kalamuts and Adoy complain about how much playing time he doesn't get before this game. And then proceed to just drop an absolute shithouse performance um, in Sevilla on the big stage. So not really doing himself a favor there for, for squad depth, but Anyway, that aside, um, was really disappointed in Sevilla. Outside of those maybe 25, 30 minutes in the first half, um, they got overrun completely in the second half. I mean, Chelsea kept putting on the pressure, Pulisic especially on um, on the left-hand side, continued relentless pressure. And seeing the, the Jesus Navas battle against Pulisic really kind of warmed my heart. In uh, it, it was very, it was a conflicting way, but it was it was good to see, so... Yeah, that's just two completely different eras. That's like that's it's almost like if Pulisic was kind of looking into a time machine like that. That could be him in like ten years, just playing in left, playing as like a left back, as like a wing back. That could be him at the end of his career, honestly. Um, but no, that was that was a fun battle there, and and of course before we hop off here, like, 
praises be to the sexy, the beautiful French, questionably faithful God that is Olivier Giroud, who had a perfect hat trick and then added a, a PK on, on top of it. And he was, I, he was just unbelievable. I, the, the first Chelsea player to score um, four goals in the Champions League, the last Chelsea player to score four goals overall in any game was Frank Lampard in 2010. It, it, oh, wow. All, all the plaudits to Giroud. And as a Chelsea fan, I hope that he stays throughout the end of the season, but if he really want, if he says to the to the manager, if he says to the club that he has to leave, then you know we have to let him go because it, the, the stuff that he's done for this team in the two years that he's been at the club, and it's very easy to to make him a living meme. And and I know I think we all have at one point, but yeah, you know, he is just the best backup striker you could have, just the best backup striker, and that feels like a backhanded compliment, but. <laughs> Even to the end of last season, he was the most reliable striker for Chelsea and always have to look back on the biggest game of the season against Wolves on the last day of the season. He scores this wonderful, like determined goal and he deserves so much credit for his professionalism and his mentality, knowing that he's almost never the guy except for the national team where like Deschamps treats him like that's his son. But um, no, all, all all credit, all praise to Giroud, who's just been such a great personality for Chelsea, and and when they need him most, he usually delivers. I think you said it better than I ever could. Um, the, one of the most professional players that I think any of us could probably think of in recent memories. Um, that doesn't have a starting spot quite frankly. So yeah. Uh, good things coming out of Chelsea and actually not good things for <laughs> Sevilla and our La Liga podcast. The only last point that I would make on Sevilla <clears throat> is that finishing first and finishing second in their group have massive, massive implications for the knockout round. Cause if you look at the pots for the teams that you could get, <laughs> if you finish second in Chelsea and Sevilla's group, I mean, it's all top, top teams versus if you finish first for, um, in Chelsea's case, what will likely be the, the end result? Um, well, you get slightly less as good teams. And of course, I forgot how to speak English there, but, um, yeah, that was, that's the only thing that I'll point out. But I think that covers Sevilla. Rion, I think we have one last team that we need to get to, um, a team that all of a sudden is, in, in form, dare I say? I mean, I don't, I don't know if form so much, but at least my beloved Antoine Griezmann are, uh, are the world's favorite dancer. I, I don't know what his actual profession is at this <laughs> point, but um, Barcelona, of course, putting a, a string of good results together all of a sudden. Two clean sheets and like seven goals. Uh, I'm... I'm impressed, albeit not against top top opposition, but I'm I'm okay with this. I'm all right with it. Yeah, it's 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 all good things so far for or the last couple of weeks for Barca, right? It's almost like once Sergio Roberto unfortunately was put out of the picture by injury, and Sergio Des stepped in at right back. Everything's looked better, but no, that's that's too much. That's obviously giving a bit too oh, much. Oh no, that's hundred percent true. <laughs> Everything you're saying is true. 
<laughs> yeah, but, but Griezmann's been great the last the last um, couple of weeks, basically since since the uh, international break, coming back from the international break. It's it's been impressive. I I really do want to talk about Sergio Dessa. Like he has like, he has fit in wonderfully in the team, and I think I've seen like some a couple uh, comparisons to Danny Alves to him and from Spanish reporters himself, not just me this time. He has been just so. I mean, it, he got his first goal last week in for Barcelona. Um, and really since the Roberto injury, he's taken his chances, I think, and man, it's, I've said this to you and, 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 um, and Peter, I I think that Dest personally, it has the highest ceiling of any of the current crop of us national team players. I think like technically even more than Pulisic, I think he's, a more technically gifted, the most technically gifted U.S. national team player that there is right now. And he's been really productive the last couple of weeks for Barcelona. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Serginho Jess is the player maybe outside of, let's say, Usman Dembele, that I like so desperately want to succeed so much at Barcelona. I mean, you say he's one of the the players on the U S men's national team that has the highest ceiling. And I think part of that is because he came up through the IX system and you can't underrate the, the different areas of growth that some of these younger players have come through. And in the same way that Conrad, well, we'll call him Conrad because he doesn't like to be called anything else um, came up through La Masia and, you know, more recently than not uh, would, you know, moved over from the States, but I think you're going to probably see something similar from him. It's just, there's a footballing IQ aspect to, to a player's game and that breeds into talent, I think. And you're seeing that with Serginho Dest, right? He's a player that is drawing shades at Danny Alves because he has the same level of strength of almost drive up the right wing and also the defensive capabilities to just be like, no, I'm not letting you buy all things Sergio Roberto lacks, by the way. I was just I, not to, I mean, yes, to shit on him, but I'm just going to say he's just not. He's just not a right back. He's he just not play. a right back. Yeah. Like, he's he just not a fullback. Right. He's, he's a, he's an outside midfielder. Um, that is pseudoing as a right back. Well, unfortunately also has COVID now, so I really shouldn't make fun of him. But anyway. The point is, Serginho Dest is drawing comparisons to Danny Alves because he is the same type of player profile. And the only thing that I think could ever stop his growth moving forward is if anyone is stuck playing in front of him as a true white right winger. I think what really worked between, let's say, Messi and Danny Alves is that Messi came inside all the time. He moved out of the final third channel in which the right back is usually... Um, uh, usually taking up. That's my point. And Serginho Dest needs that sort of freedom to run forward. That's what I've learned in watching him play for the U.S. men's national team, for Barcelona, and a little bit for Ajax, is that he will run all day, but you need to give him the space and the freedom to do that. So playing him and Messi on that side, I think, works out perfectly. But playing someone, say, like Dembele or Ansu Fati in that space will not work because they like running in the same direction. <laughs> so... Don't put Usman Dembele on that side. But yes, Serginho Dest has been on fire. I mean, scored his first goal against Dynamo Kiev last week. 
continually starts for this team. And I don't think that Sergio Roberto is going to be a starting right back for this team any longer, quite frankly, because if you're, if you want to actively see this performance or these performances from Dest and then choose to go back to Sergio Roberto, then you should not be a coach. But again, I have, I have other qualms to take up with this team, but that is, that is not one of them right now. And, and you did mention, of course, Antoine Griezmann, five goals, I believe in seven games now, um, which is just a fantastic run for any player, let alone a, a world-class one in him. So I'm really, really happy to see, see that work out. But Rian, I've, I've one question for you. Um, do you know why Antoine Griezmann has scored five goals in seven games? Do you, do you have the answer to this age old tale of why he's been so productive recently? Well, I think Messi has played in most of those games, so probably not. Oh, that. that's not but. even where I was going. <laughs> I know, I know it wasn't. Wow. I know it wasn't. Um, <laughs> wow. You find every opportunity to do that. It's genuinely impressive. Um, God. No, but if, if I had to guess, I would have to guess he, perhaps that he's getting more touches around the box. Maybe he's not having to go back and um, – track the wingers or attacking fullbacks of the opposition recently? <laughs> well, left, left, back, left back Griezmann is no longer a thing right now. And, and for good reason. I, I half joke that he would be a great left back, but I mean, he objectively would be a great, rep, great uh, left back. But the reason why, outside of Messi not playing half of these games, thank you very much, um, he also scored on the pitch while Messi was there. So let's jot that down. Um, the reason why he is doing so well is because Barcelona have decided in the last 10 days that they're going to play with a true number nine on the field, whether it's, you know, someone that's clearly not as technically capable as Luis Suarez. Martin Brathwaite is a out and out number nine. You cannot argue against that. And he does the work that other players don't want to do. He does, he does what Suarez did in trying to get behind the two center backs and trying to create space for the number 10 behind him so well. He just drags players out of position. And he, he's also been rewarded with three goals in the last four games, I believe. So he's playing that role perfectly. And what that does for Griezmann, who's playing off the striker, off Martin Brathwaite, is it's allowing him space now. It's allowing him space to get volleys off like he did this past weekend. It's allowing him space to just have five yards to himself in the box to get away an accurate shot. But previously, he didn't have that space because, yes, it was taken up by Messi, but that's because Messi's not a center forward anymore, and he's not a striker, an out-and-out striker. So Griezmann is clearly getting the best of both worlds um, in between playing with Messi, of course, and playing behind Martin Brathwaite, um, when given the space and over the weekend, you saw Messi kind of shift towards more of a right wing position and it worked out pretty well with Usman Dembele on the, on the left. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really why Griezmann's doing well. And I think Coleman's probably going to continue with that. I love, I was going to say, I love that. I love that, that configuration of the attack to, to make it work for Messi and Griezmann to, to at least think about how does this work for Griezmann too, the guy who's going to be here longer than, Lionel Messi, um, hopefully, right? <laughs> but uh, no, putting Dembele on the left and Messi on the right, and we know Messi will never stay on the right. And this really can only work if Serginho Dest is in the team because an actual um, attacking width is being provided more than, or sorry, a more 
destructive attacking width is provided than when Sergio Roberto is playing right back. I mean, it's just this configuration of the Barcelona attack I think works best, even though you wouldn't say Martin Braithwaite is is one of the four most um, technically gifted players on the team. He works for the team better than anyone else in that position right now. And that is ultimately the most important thing. How do we, how does Barcelona get the most out of their best players? Right. And, and Braithwaite allows them to do that. Amen to that. You said it perfectly. And, uh, Rian, out of fear of going down a rabbit hole with Barcelona and going on for hours, I'm going to cut myself off. And I think that is about everything that we want to cover in the La Liga podcast. But as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the overlap. We'll be back next week after this weekend's run of games where, well, there are a couple of big games happening this weekend in both Spain and England, but the, the big one in Spain is going to be Sevilla Real Madrid. So with that, we wish you all a very healthy and happy rest of the week. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks guys. Thanks guys.